Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. A.K.A. Bo Snerdly on 77 WABC, the crown jewel of American radio. It is Saturday morning, and here we are. The gang is all here. Camelia will be taking your calls. Bruce and Scott are working the engineering duties. James Golden, A.K.A. Bo Snerdly, here with you if you'd like to be part of today's program. Our Saturday morning radio extravaganza, you can dial us. 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222 is the number to call. We have got news, and we have got overflowing news. Let me tell you some of the things that will happen on the program today. In the 9 o'clock hour, our very own Taste of Royalty, Her Highnessness, the Princess, America's Princess of Policy, Diana Mee, joins us. And Diana and I are going to have an extended discussion today. We will center our discussion on the mainstream, or those of you who call it the lamestream media's week from hell. This was a week in American media that should never be forgotten. We have had suspensions. We've had firings. We've had discussions about the role of the mainstream press. We have had arguments over at the State Department between a reporter and and the uh, the State Dispar- uh, Department spokesman who the next day didn't show up. <laughs> I wonder why. And all of that we will get into during the second hour of today's program. There is so much news for our first hour, and your calls, of course, are going to be sprinkled throughout the program. Let us start with this story, and we'll do it quickly. The United States of America, under the so-called leadership, and I say that in quotes, leadership of Joe Biden, has removed sanctions on Iran, some of the sanctions on Iran that Donald Trump imposed on that nation, and they have returned to Obama-era negotiations, you know, some of the negotiators have resigned in protest of how horribly, horribly these negotiations are going. So Joe Biden just gave Iran $29 billion, $29 billion that were frozen. Joe Biden just gave back to Iran. Let's remember something, please. Iran is responsible for killing American servicemen. Iran was responsible for the IEDs that were launched against American servicemen in in Iraq. Iran has also been a state sponsor of terrorism around the world. Joe Biden is rewarding 
terrorism. There is no other way to look at this. Iran has never, ever, ever done anything to indicate that they are willing to change their ways. The reason that we entered these negotiations was because Iran began threatening the world that they would become a nuclear power. Now they have been rewarded for doing nothing except continuing their anti-American hatred by this, this inept, incompetent embarrassment of an administration. It is absolutely shameful what is occurring. Yesterday, when we got back on, we had some technical difficulties yesterday, which we apologize for. Um, yesterday, when we did make it back onto the airwaves, the story had changed, the top stories of the day, in that vice, former Vice President Pence had come out swinging with a strong rebuke of former President Trump over of course, the 2020 presidential election. And he pretty much said President, former President Trump was wrong. He did not have the power that President Trump thought he had to not accept the electors that were presented before him. Former President Trump has responded Friday night. He said he just saw Mike Pence's statement on the fact that he had no right to do anything with respect to the electoral vote count other than being an automatic conveyor belt for the old crow Mitch McConnell to get Biden elected president as quickly as possible. Trump argued that if obvious signs of voter fraud or irregularities exist, Pence could have done something about it. And what he said last night was the fact that Democrats wanted to change the law and reiterate that the that the that the vice president couldn't have role shows he's right. President Trump said everybody knows he's right on this. Let's visit through some of the other news. I don't have them in a particular order. This one I find, and I know some of you are going to just find, yeah, okay, what do we expect? Republicans are stressing, key Republicans are stressing that when Joe Biden's nominee comes up before the Supreme Court, the confirmation will process will be one of, quote-unquote, respect. Now, anytime a Republican nominee comes up, look at what they did to Gorsuch, look at what they did to Kavanaugh. The last thing the Democrats do is offer respect to Republican nominees. They trash them, they vilify them, they lie, they smear them, they accuse them of things that never happened. The mainstream press aids and abets the process, of course, and it is always a vicious, ugly, knockout, drag-down fight that leaves whoever that Republican nominee permanently wounded or scarred from the abuse that they have to take. And what do Republicans promise as soon as Joe Biden puts up a nominee, no matter how radical, no matter how insanely radical, Oh, we're going to treat them respectfully. It'll be respectfully. We won't have any of our outside groups come in and disrupt. We won't look to smear them. Well, I'm not saying that Republicans should engage in the kind of uh, upfront behavior. They shouldn't lie about people. They shouldn't smear anybody's name. Nobody should do that. Democrats shouldn't do it, but they do it on a regular basis. But here we signal to Democrats, oh, we're not going to fight. We're not going to really fight you. It'll be a nice, polite 
It'll be a nice, polite thing, this little confirmation hearing. So don't worry about it. Just put up anybody you want to put up, no matter how radical they are. We won't really make it a big battle. We want to be respectful. Wonder why you lose. Uh, SUNY, I talked about this story the other day, and by the way, when I did talk about this story, I didn't go into all the detail because some of the detail was too graphic and too ugly. There's a there's a professor at, at State University of New York, your taxpayer dollars are paying for this, who went on a tear citing a video where uh, this, 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 he was in a video saying it wasn't obvious to him that adult and child sex is wrong, pedophilia. And in fact, he went so far as to say that even sex between an adult and a one-year-old was not, it was not obviously wrong. He went further than that. There are some things that this man said about specific sex acts on toddlers, babies, that supposedly he ascribed to ta- as taking place in other cultures. They're so heinous, I won't get into them. Anyway, he has now been removed from interacting with students. He hasn't been fired, from what I can tell, but at least he won't be interacting with students over at SUNY anymore. These are the people, these are the educators, an example of some of the educators that are teaching your children They don't believe that communism is wrong. They believe United States of America is the problem for everything. They don't believe in capitalism. They openly believe in socialism. They openly profess their hatred of conservatives and their biases and prejudice of conservatives. And yet these people fill America's higher institutions of learning from coast to coast with few exceptions like Hillsdale College for instance, is one, like Liberty University and some of the others. And yet, not fired. Senator Rand Paul is promising to investigate Fauci if Republicans take over the Senate. Those of you regular listeners to our weekday show at 4 o'clock in the afternoons here on WABC who heard Rand Paul with us a few weeks ago, he is just reiterating something that he told us. If If Republicans take over the Senate, he will see to it that there will be a complete investigation on Dr. Fauci and what has happened with COVID, meaning gain of function. Was this something that came out of a lab that was a man-made virus? And what role did Dr. Fauci and NIH play In dealing with the Wuhan lab, there are established links. So, there was a study this week that has not gotten any press in the lamestream press, and that's a John Hopkins study that showed the lockdowns that Democrats inflicted on the American economy and the American people these lockdowns that cost so many people their jobs and their livelihoods had absolutely almost zero effectiveness. That story has been effectively blacked out of most of the mainstream press. 
Susan Sarandon, who got a little bit of hot water for likening the funeral turnout of detective Jason Rivera and his partner, Officer Wilbert Mora, has now apologized for saying the turnout resembled, the pictures of it resembled fascism. Miss Sarandon says she deeply regrets the meme that she recently shared on Twitter that included Officer Jason Rivera's funeral. I reacted quickly to the picture without connecting it to a police funeral, and I realize now how insensitive and deeply disrespectful it was to make that point at that time. I sincerely apologize, she said, to the family of Officers Rivera and Mora for causing additional pain during their time of grieving. You heard on the top of the hour news with Lydia Serrani, and thank you, Lydia, for stepping up yesterday when we had our difficulties. Um, you heard Lydia talk about the GoFundMe cancellation of the Freedom Convoy. That's this group of Canadian truckers who are protesting the, vaccine, the vaccination mandates in Canada. There was almost $10 million in donation. And GoFundMe just arbitrarily decided, no, even though people used our platform to donate to these truckers, we're going to withhold them and disperse the money to charities. I know one person has already said he's filed a credit card action fraud against GoFundMe.com. But this leads me into something deeper that I want to talk about when we come back from the break. And it's maybe something that I have to develop over a few shows And that is the way that the left operates as opposed to the way that the right operates. And you see it in almost everything. There was a story I could not get to yesterday. I will do that story and then try to develop this topic as best we can. Again, we're going to take phone calls, sprinkle them through the show again in the 9 o'clock hour. Princess Di will join us, the princess of policy, and we are going to take our time and dissect the mainstream media week from hell that occurred this week. This is James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly. You're listening to WABC Talk Radio 77. Yes, we are the crown jewel of American radio, and we will be right back. You never know who will be on Cats at Night. They said, well, how can we reduce inflation? I said, you can reduce inflation very easily. Bring in the Canadian oil and bring in the Alaska oil, and the crude oil will be down to $60 a barrel by next week. Why are they insisting on buying the oil from Putin and from Saudi Arabia and OPEC? Why? Cats at Night, weeknights at 5 on 77 WABC. Entertaining and informative. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, is on the air. 77 WABC. This story has led me into thinking about uh, something on a deeper level, and I will try, make an attempt to discuss it with you. I may not get it all today. This may have to be something that I want that we revisit from time to time. But it goes to why Democrats always, why we Republicans and conservatives always feel that we are overwhelmed by Democrats, that we are always fighting up and punching up with them, and me- meaning that they have the advantage politically, and why sometimes we get depressed over the sheer amount of 
stuff that always seems to be flowing from Democrats. It's as, it's as if whether they are in power or not, they control things. Let's. The story is this: Democrat teachers, Democrats, and teachers unions are now aligned to fight to keep parents, that would be those of you who have children in public schools or private schools for that matter, from learning what their children are taught. Democrats and teachers unions are working to block bills, and there are many of them now starting to crop up, proposed in at least a dozen states that would require curriculum transparency in schools across the country. Now, these Democrats and teachers unions are arguing that parents' access to their children's learning materials could lead to undue censorship, and it could also create a backlash against educators, which is an interesting argument. If what they are teaching your children would cause them to, would cause you to react and and say, what the hell are you people doing, then perhaps they shouldn't be teaching it. That should be the first sign that something is amiss. Parents are entitled under federal law to request to see what the children's curriculum is if they attend a federally funded school. But schools are not required to post materials online. Lawmakers in at least 12 states are introducing legislation to require schools to post a list of all of their teaching materials online, including books, articles, and videos. And this is what teachers' unions are fighting. They don't want parents to have online access to see what they are teaching your children. Think about that. In Missouri, the fight is going on, and the American Civil Liberties Union has jumped into this. They tweeted out that transparency, these transparency requests, these bills, are thinly veiled attempts at chilling teachers and students from learning and talking about race and gender in schools. Well, isn't that revealing? In other words, American teachers, they fear, will be chilled from discussing race and gender in schools in ways that parents don't want their children exposed to. And they're demanding that instead of parents having to say here, that teachers and teachers unions become the ultimate authority. In other words, liberal Democrats should be, because that is who teachers unions are, liberal Democrats, radicalized Democrats in some cases, radicalized socialists in other cases, that they should have the ultimate authority as to what to teach your kids and parents You parents, you hardworking parents who pay the salaries for these teachers should have and for these educators and for their administrators and for the school buildings and for the janitors and for every damn thing else that liberals want to ring up in their cash register. You pay for it, but you should have no say. You should have no say with what your children are taught. Now, meanwhile, many of these same teachers, and we've seen example of example after this, 
will not allow their children to go to public schools. They send their children to private schools where they are assured of getting a quality education. But they want to keep your kids, especially if they're black and Hispanic, in failing schools where they get to indoctrinate them and they don't want you to know exactly what it is that they are supposedly teaching your children. Well, let me start with the analysis that I want to get into this way. First, let me acknowledge something that Rush Limbaugh spent time explaining, because this was a really amazing eye-opener, and that is the relationship between the Democrat Party and teachers' unions. Rush called this relationship accurately a money laundering relationship. And here's, I'm going to paraphrase without quoting Rush, here's how he explained it the way I understand it. The Democrat Party and the teachers union, yeah, they're joined at the hip. Here's what happens. The Democrats rely on teachers unions to get elected. The teachers unions fund Democrat campaigns to the tune of hundreds over the years, hundreds of millions of dollars, but not only hundreds of millions of dollars, they also provide the army. These teachers unions are out doing election season. They're doing the door knocking. They're answering the phone banks. They are the bodies. They are part of the collection of bodies that go out each election cycle on behalf of Democrats. Now, Democrats win. What happens? The same Democrats that were elected by these teachers' unions are in charge of what? The negotiations, once they're in office, with teachers' unions. And they award these teachers' unions lucrative contracts. They make sure that their buddies, their allies in the teachers' unions are granted contracts that the average American worker wouldn't dare ask for, much less receive. That's why you have some teachers in America. And by the way, I am not knocking Joe and Martha teacher who are just trying to educate the kids and doing a good job. I'm talking about the union, the structure of the unions, and these radical liberals who run them. That is why teachers, in some cases, work less than a third of a year. Many of you don't, especially those of you who know what it's like that have to work. And I'm not talking about you teachers that really do great jobs, that put your own time into it when you don't have to, and there are so many of you, and I know that. And I love you teachers and respect you. But I'm talking about the ones that don't, that barely show up or don't care about the kids at all. They don't even work half a year. Their tenure is very often just a job. It's a keep your job without having to really work for it program. Very difficult. In New York City, try to fire a teacher. Sometimes they're housed in little teacher lockups. I forgot what they're called 
for years while they wait for their case to be handled, fully paid, even though they're not working at all. And so what happens next? The the teachers unions help the Democrats get elected. The Democrats, in turn, make sure the teachers are rewarded with these incredible contracts that no one else would dare get. And then the teachers unions fork over more and more money to the Democrats. It's a circle. It's a money laundering operation. The money moves from one group of Democrats, the teachers unions, to the elected Democrat class. The elected Democrat class then use government to send the money back to the teachers, and the money keeps flowing all the way in the Democrat circle. That's how that relationship works. When we get back, I want to expand because that's only a part of it. And it's not just teachers unions. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, back with you in a moment. Oh knows politics and so much more. A true connection to real New York on 77 WABC. Nominated for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Lionel Richie brings us back one of the most prolific songwriters of the 1980s, 1990s, with the Commodores and, of course, by himself as a solo artist. Incredible songwriter and also an incredibly nice guy. Lionel Richie, WABC Talk Radio 77, New York City. We are the crown jewel of American radio. I want to continue, ladies and gentlemen, with this discussion that stemmed from this one news story, and now I want to expand it, about the way that Democrats and teachers unions work together to to inflict their ideology on American school children, and they don't want parents involved in the education of their own children, even though it is you parents and American taxpayers who are footing the bill for all of this. This is a prime example of the way the Democrats organize. I think we conservatives made a huge mistake when Obama was in office. We laughed. Do you remember the jokes about Obama being a community organizer? How do you, he's nothing but a community organizer. <laughs> community organizer. <laughs> How does a community organizer get to the White House? How does a person who spent his time organizing Democrats in the community of Chicago No practical experience. He stayed in Chicago's legislature a brief period of time. And by the way, how he got there is a lesson in ruthlessness, if you care to look at his history. How does he get to the White House? Through organization. Through the organization that Democrats have set up. The organizations that Democrats have set up around this country are a spider web on top of a spider web, on top of a spider web. Almost every facet of American life 
is impacted by the organizations that Democrats have set up. And they have out-organized Republicans. It's not even close. First of all, they had over a 100-year head start. And then when you go back through American history, what you discover is the Democrats are continuing their playbook of organization today that they started a long time ago. We don't have to turn anywhere, we New Yorkers, but our own history in New York. Tammany Hall. Tammany Hall, for those of you that are not familiar with the term, describes the corrupt nature of one-party rule that Democrats had in this city during the Industrial Age for over 100 years. And by the way, Tammany Hall still exists. Republicans win the mayalty from time to time, but Republicans have never, in New York City's history now, have never controlled the bureaucracy of New York. Never. Ever. The bureaucracy that runs New York City, which is why it has so many problems, is a Democrat machine and has been in the hands of Democrats for over 200 years. Organized. What did Democrats do to get here? When the big immigration wave in the 1920s was happening, in the 1930s, Democrats would meet immigrants coming from Ellis Island and coming into the neighborhoods and greet them with care packages and sign them up according to whatever political factions They wanted those immigrants to belong to, but they were factions of the Democrat Party. Well, what's that got to do with today? I'll tell you what it has to do with today. The organization is still going strong. Why do you think that we are being flooded with an invasion in America of illegal immigrants. This is the same Democrat organizational prowess at work. Right now, using government agencies, the Biden administration, under the cover of darkness, literal darkness, is using charter airlines, private airlines, and in some case commercial airlines to retrieve illegal immigrants from the nation's borders to bring them to cities all around the country, in every state of the country that they want them in. This does not happen arbitrarily. This is an organized effort. What happens once these illegal immigrants are dropped off? They're not just dropped off in a vacuum. There are support groups that offer them housing. There are support groups that help find them work. There are support groups that help them integrate into the shadows, as they're called, of America. And there they stay. While they, in many cases, receive public benefits or access or have access to taxpayer-funded 
schools, and health care, all at government expense. If you listen to the podcast series On the Border with Todd Benzman and I, what you find out is that the United Nations, with help from the American taxpayers, are helping to fund these illegal immigrants on their trip to the United States of America. They're given the equivalent of debit cards and a quote-unquote salary to sustain them. If you listen to the second installment of On the Border, we learn how they're defeating the asylum process. 90% of the immigrants who first fail to get asylum in Mexico, which is a requirement before they come to the United States, are given coaching. In one instance, it is by Jesuit priests. In another instance, it's by a UN-funded organization that helps them retrieve, quote-unquote, repressed memories so that they can claim they were tortured, they were abused, or whatever. Because here's what happens. Most of the time they show up, they say, I want to come to the United States to get a job. Oops, you can't go in. Because getting a job, improving your own economic standing is not a, a sufficient reason to qualify you for amnesty. So they are turned away. Then the UN funds these operations where these immigrants are coached to dig out their repressed memories. They claim all sorts of horrible things happen to them. And 90% of them are then allowed to defeat our asylum laws, and enter into the United States. From there, they are whisked away by the Biden administration and put into neighborhoods all throughout the United States into a well-organized network that we Republicans know nothing about. We don't know who these people are that are helping them. We don't know the support organizations that are helping them. We don't know how this all works. The media doesn't report it. But this has been going on for years. Finally, you get to a place like New York City, and they say, oh, you know what? We want the uh, illegal immigrants to vote. In, in, In local elections, not presidential elections, and they pass laws to do that. Or in California, they say now we have to expand the state Medicaid program for everybody, for all the illegal. So American taxpayers end up funding this illegality that has threatened the nation's national security because these immigrants coming in are not vetted. We don't know to what extent COVID spiked because of the entry of these hundreds of thousands of illegal immigrants who were not vetted for the disease, even though you had to go through your vaccine mandate. They didn't. And I'm not trying to dump on these immigrants. I'm just stating facts. This is what happens. That is organization. And the Democrats have been organized for over 150 years on bringing immigrants into the political process of Americans. And Republicans sit on the sidelines and we scratch our heads as to how all this happens.
That's just one aspect of organization. If you look at what Democrats are doing right now to conservative media, it is frightening. They have a phony campaign. The teachers' union is involved in that, by the way. The teachers' union just announced an alliance with one of these so-called fact-checking operations, and it's not. It is a liberal organization, an establishment-run organization, to block your kids from getting real news in the classroom. And And under Randy Weingarten, the AFT, every member of the union is going to be given access to this application, this app that they can bring into the classroom that will supposedly fact-check the news that American children get and make sure that conservative sites that these liberal fact-checkers say are unworthy become demonized in your children's mind from the beginning from the beginning of the time that they start paying attention to news. And it gets worse than that. There is another organization, highly established organization now, doing the same in the ad markets. They're trying to deny conservative publishers the right to, to have advertising to sustain their own businesses. This is all organized behavior. And what are conservative organizations doing? Well, individuals are fighting it. There have been a few articles from places like American Wire News trying to expose it. But we don't have any organization. There is no association of conservative print media to even lobby against this. We are out-organized in the media, in conservative media. Democrats have long organized. You've got Media Matters, who's out there smearing Rush Limbaugh and other talk show hosts for years. And the stuff that they, the drivel, the fake news that they print ends up in mainstream publications. Nobody ever fact checks that garbage. But what do conservative media have by way of an organization to fact check liberals? We have the Media Research Center, but they've been standing out there alone trying to defend against this. There is no organization on the conservative side, no associations. We laughed at Obama, community organizer. We don't understand. It's not the community. It is the communities. They have organized on the left around every community of their ideology, whether it's the environmental community, whether it's the abortion community, the pro-genocide community, which is the abortion community. Planned Parenthood harvests body parts from babies, and there is no organization On the right, there are individual groups out protesting it, but there is no nationally present organizational approach to stop this or to lobby against it. They are organized when it comes to immigration. 
look at the organization that they've already put up to combat people from getting alternate information than the government information during this COVID crisis. And that's just the beginning. Every single aspect of liberal ideological life has an organization behind it. And the Republicans and conservatives have nothing. That is why when the Tea Party started to organize, the left went nuts and used the IRS and any other means to stop it because they understand what that really meant. If you had this grassroots organization beginning that took on a national presence so quickly and affected elections so quickly, they understood the threat and they squashed it. Community organizing. We are a hundred years late on this, folks. James Golden, aka Bo Snurdly. More after this. WABC. Now here's the soul of excellence, James Golden, aka Bo Snurdly, on 77 WABC. And the difference between Republicans and Democrats, and I believe this is why we always feel so overwhelmed, no matter what the issue is. Democrats pop out with some organization or group of organizations within moments. They're mobilized. And they are out front. They're dominating the news. And we are always end up on de- defensive from, these, from this incredible network of organizations that Democrats have set up. I want to just point to this, and then we'll move on to calls. What is America? America was community or our founding was because of community organizers. Let's go back, for those of you that that studied American history and get the, the golden view of history on this. We had, before America was founded, what led to it? Well, a lot of things over the years as the colonies grew but really what set the match to all the flames that were going on was there was a king over there across the pond, King George, who was cray-cray. And that's historically accurate. The man was cray-cray. And he it was imposing all sorts of onerous taxes and regulations on America. We got organized in the colonies to fight against it legislatively at first in the state houses that were still controlled by the governors that cray-cray King George had installed. One thing led to another. The people in the United States, a minority, by the way, of the people in the United States were not satisfied. They said, we're going to take action, and we're we're going to declare our independence. Our Constitution, our founding was an organization of government by the people of the country that said our rights are not granted to us by cray-cray King George, 
but our rights come from God. And we organized a system of government that the world has ever seen. This was no small task. To get from the point where this began as a protest movement to the point that our Constitution was ratified was a 20 or more year process of organization. Organization is the key to it all, and Republicans are behind the eight ball. Phones, I think, we'll start with Karen in Rockland County. Karen, welcome. WABC Talk Radio 77. You're on with James Golden. What's on your mind this morning? Hello, Karen. Hello? Hi, Karen. What's on your mind this morning? Oh, you've been saying so You've been saying so much. I have a lot to say. Go ahead. Number one about about, uh, ex-Vice President Pence. His responsibility on January 6th was to, uh, all the Republicans wanted was to have the audit uh, pushed off for 10 days so they could go looking into stuff, and he didn't want to do that. He couldn't have stopped the vote, but he couldn't have stopped the, uh, you know, from them doing that in the middle of the night. As far as our government, I really hate the way they make me think they are such a dirty bunch of people, and they are our own worst enemies. Karen, thank you for the call. I do appreciate it. Look, here's one thing I know about Mike Pence, and James is not going to take sides in this debate between President Trump and Mike Pence because I'm focused on the next election. And we have to win. We have to get the House of Representatives back. We have to get the Senate back. And we have to get the White House back. And hopefully, I'm going to put it right out there, I hope that Donald Trump is really serious about being President 47 Donald Trump. Because I would like nothing better after these years of Biden than to have Donald Trump triumphantly return to the White House. But I will say this about Vice President Pence. Vice President Pence has convictions. This is not a man who does not think through carefully what his position is on anything. Now, whether you think he's right or wrong, at least give him the benefit of the doubt for acting according to the way he believed he should act constitutionally and as a matter of conscience. That's all I'll say about it. Carol, New Jersey, welcome. WABC, Talk Radio 77. You're on with James Golden. James. I hope you don't, I'm going to call you Bo. I hope you don't mind. <laughs> I don't mind at all. This is Bo. Because <laughs> I've never called you Bo. But, you know, I'm concerned about uh, Eric Adams because he fell all over President Trump. And I just, I just hope he does the right thing. I really do. Eric Adams has a lot of goodwill, and he is in danger of squandering it. He This quote that came out where he's referring to white police officers of crackers, he's apologized for. Look, Eric Adams has done a lot of running of his mouth about what he's going to do. He's going to do this. He's going to do that. He's going to do that. Crime is still a problem in New York. The economic well-being of businesses is still a problem in New York. 
Housing is still a concern. Education is still a concern. These are early days. But Eric Adams has a lot to do, and so far, I don't see anything that he's doing except running his mouth about what he's going to do in the future. So I share your concerns about Eric Adams. I think that Eric Adams is potentially has the wherewithal to be a great mayor if he gets his act together. I'm not confident that he will. Not at all. Okay, here's what's coming up. Second hour, more of your calls. We've got a full board, but if you want to join, we just had a line drop because we just said goodbye to Carol. If you want to join us, 848-WABC, 800-848-WABC is how you call and how we, Camellia, is there ready to take your calls, anxious and ready to take your calls. In the second hour, we are going to go to Princess of Policy. America's Princess of Policy, Her Highnessness, Diana Me, and we'll do that early on because we have a lot to discuss. Folks, the mainstream, lamestream media in America has never experienced a week like they had this past week. This was the week from hell. For the mainstream media. And Diana and I are going to go through it one at a time as much as we can and as much as time allows. We will be taking calls. We are going to have fun, hopefully, because some of this stuff with the media is hysterically funny. Other, it's some of it's pathetic. Like poor Don Lemon sitting over there crying on emotional because Jim Sucker is fired. Oh, poor Don. Go sniff some fingers. WABC Talk Radio 77, James Golden, a.k.a. Snurley. We're back right after this. You're listening to one of the most iconic stations in the nation. An American original. Talk Radio 77 WABC and WABCRadio.com. On 77 WABC. Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg has reversed. He's walking it back, folks. And this is what I mean by organization sometimes, too. You know, these progressives, these progressive district attorneys are all around the country thanks to one man, George Soros, and pumping millions of dollars into Democrat organizations progressive organizations to elect progressive DAs, and they have completely turned American cities into crime-ridden shambles. We elected one here, Alvin Bragg. But the public protest to Mr. Bragg has been so, so loud and so nonstop that right now Mr. Bragg is forced forced against his will to start walking back some of the insane policies that he brought with him to this office. A pair of his most controversial policies 
are now being rescinded. In a memo to the staff, Alvin Bragg said that holding up a store or other businesses with a firearm will be charged as a felony whether or not the gun is operable, was operable, loaded, or a realistic imitation. Now, you remember that this man said that he could not and would not charge criminals to the full extent of the law with felony charges if they robbed somebody with a gun. That has now been rescinded. And he's also said that if someone robs a commercial establishment with a knife, that he, that person, would also face charges as a felony. In retail thefts that do not involve a risk of physical harm, the office will continue to assess the charges based on all aggravating and mitigating circumstances. But, but, he says, a commercial robbery at knife point or by any other weapon that creates a risk of physical harm will, will, be charged as a felony. So, it looks like, now you remember, there are a lot more to go. These are just two. When he came to office, he had 13, I believe it was 13, revisions to the way that laws are being prosecuted now. But at least two of them now have been rescinded. There is another story that I want to bring to your attention. I cited this last hour. This story comes from AmericanNewsWire.com. Left-wing activists tied to disinformation group are working to demonize conservative news sites. This is the name of the group. It's called Check My Ads. It's a group started by Sleeping Giants co-founder and activist Nadini Jimmy. Nadini Jimmy. And advertising consultant Claire Atkin. They call themselves AdTech's first watchdog. They claim to cut disinformation off at the source. Who are they going after? They're going after people like WABC radio host Charlie Kirk. Of course, Charlie has put together one of the most incredible conservative organizations of college youth, Turning Point. They're going after Don Bongino, Dan Bongino. While Check My Ad's self-declared mission includes fighting against disinformation, the group works with several Several people on the left that have themselves pushed out misleading or false comment. They claim that they want to defund the insurrectionists. That's their main goal. But they're coming after conservative 
media figures. The magazine, there's a conservative magazine, Human Events. It has been around for ages. They're going after them. As well as other figures. So we'll see how well all of this plays out. As you know, and I mentioned this in the top of the hour, oh, there's another story related to all this. We were talking about the organizations. This is in the New York Post. A shady liberal funding network is pushing Biden's hands for SCOTUS nomination. Now, this is this is pretty amazing because, you know, the Democrats have raged on and on. I talked about this with Mark Stein on Tuesday. <coughs> Democrats... For as long as we've known them, they've been complaining about, quote-unquote, dark money, dark money, tar baby money, black money, dark money. Dark money means we don't know who the donors are. That's all it means, but they want to put racial terms on it. Okay. But the Democrats have raised more dark money than anybody else. Of course, hypocritical. Well, right now, a secretive liberal dark money juggernaut has spent more than a, that spent more than a billion dollars to help Joe Biden win the White House, take the U.S. Senate, hold the U.S. House of Representatives. The name of the group, Arabella Advisors. They aren't a household name, but they are linked to a liberal network. The group, Arabella, is now turning its attention to the Supreme Court nominee of Joe Biden. Some of the people involved in this, the billionaire donors, include Bill and Melinda Gates. Are you surprised? And then there are some people, some of them you've never heard of, Pierre Omidyar and Hansjorg Weiss. Wiss, not sure of how he pronounces the name. Through one of these funds, they moved over $60 million to political committees backing Democrats and President Biden. Let's take a break here. When we come back, maybe we'll have the Princess of Policy with us. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, back right after this. It's time for Radio Royalty with James Golden and America's Princess of Policy, Princess Di. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. We have been waiting for a week to hear the beautiful, warm, cozy term from Her Highnessness. Her royaltiness, her everything is goodness. The one, the only princess of policy in America, Princess Di, Diana Me, And welcome to the show, Your Highness. We have been waiting for over a week, and we had to wait more. You know what it was? I cracked a joke about your lady-in-waiting Mike, and he tacked my line. 
<laughs> Probably right. Sir James, <laughs> you are the Knight of the Golden Order. I have dubbed you that with all authority given to me. <laughs> and you have all the authority in the world to do so. Okay, Diana, this was the week from hell for the mainstream media. It Where did it start? Did it start with the, which was first? I'm, I'm having a hard time remembering now. Was it was it The View that started this, or was it CNN? It was The View, right? It was. It came so fast and furious, I really don't remember the order. But part of that in there, don't forget, was the guilty verdict for Abinetti. That was part of this whole media debacle because, of course, the media loved him, and he was part of their get Trump you know, this was going to be their presidential candidate, they thought at the time. So his being found guilty for fraud was another part of the media debacle of the week. But That's I do not remember the order because there was so much. Okay. So let's start. Actually, let's start with Avenatti because I think the Avenatti verdict came either Thursday or Friday. So Avenatti now faces 22 years in jail. As you said, he was all over the place. I remember little Brian, what's his name, over at CNN. Stelter. Yeah, was, was, was trumpeting Avenatti as, oh, the, the, the next coming of the Lord, and, the next coming of their hero, Mr. Yeah. Avenatti. He was going to save everything. He was rabidly anti-Trump. And, the, and so ironically, what has happened, Stormy Daniels, who also was anti-Trump, gets in bed, so to speak, with Avenatti. She's in bed with Avenatti, and Avenatti strips her and robs her. And so So now she's got to run to court because this guy, who's already been in jail for defrauding other people, um, represents himself, and he and his former bedmate, so to speak, Stormy (laughs) Daniels, face off in the court. He loses... Now he's got to go down, so to speak, for 22 years. <laughs> yes, and he stole three, two to three hundred thousand dollars from her. That was rightly hers as part of her book deal. And he is known for this. If you look back at his record, I mean, the guy is just a a thief, and he's been involved in a lot of shady deals for a long time. And I think Tucker Carlson correctly dubbed him as the creepy porn lawyer. I mean, that's basically what he was. The interesting story I read about Avenatti, which I have seen very little coverage of, was by Mark Judge. And you remember his name from the um, Kavanaugh hearings. He was brought into it as supposedly involved with the, you know, rape trains and all of that, which was all made up. And one of the witnesses brought forward was Michael Avenatti. Mark Judge wrote a piece in American Greatness this week and wondering where did his money come from? And he quoted Mark Penn, who was a Democrat operative and pollster, as basically saying that the money for Avenatti, the whole operation came from Hillary Clinton. So that to me is the most interesting. As you know, one of my principles, the princess principles is follow the money. And Avenatti's rise, it was just, you know, outsized rise for his talents. And he was all over the media, hundreds and hundreds of appearances at the time. He was supported by big money. And, you know, Mark Judge basically is pointing the finger at Hillary Clinton, which I think is really interesting. Well, Hillary went down today, uh, this week with oh, the guilty version. <laughs> oh, that's not a fun thought. 
Okay. Now, <laughs> all right. So let's turn our attention, shall we, to CNN? <laughs> because there is so much here. So out of the blue, we get reports. Jeff Zucker, the head of CNN, this anti-Trump, this Trump-hating Jeff Zucker, who turned this network into the one-note samba, we hate Trump and we're going to do everything we can to destroy Trump network, is out. He's gone. He's been fooling around with the help. And it (laughs) turns out that the help is, what's her name? Her name is, last name, uh, Go Lust, it looks Go like. Lust. <laughs> Go Lust. Her name is Allison Gollust, I think it's pronounced. But when you read it, it looks like Go Lust. Go Lust. Yes, Gollust. Okay. Now, where do we start with this? Because the first day, it was like, oh, I'm quitting. Yeah, I should have reported it. I Yeah, I've been having this affair and with, 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 with Miss Lust, Go Lust, Gollust. <laughs> Golust. We've been having an affair. And then Miss Golus writes a little thing and says, yeah, but, you know, we only started the affair because of COVID. You know, we, 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 were, we were buddies up until then. And it looks like she was lying. And now there are calls for her to be investigated. I don't know what the investigation is supposed to prove. Whether if she lied, she lied. I mean, okay. But then we get reports that, wait a minute, Chris Cuomo's name surfaces. And then it's, well, Chris Cuomo set this whole thing in motion because he's the one that's, that, that snitched that this affair was going on so he could get paid $18 million severance pay. Well, he ended up getting $9 million, apparently. But uh, CNN, talk CNN with me. What is going okay. on over at CNN? This is a Peyton Place story. I mean, everybody is sleeping with everybody else, as we know, and Rush used to point out, the incestuous relationship between the media and the Democrat Party. And this is partially a window into that, which is really ugly. But there are two princess principles in this story. One, follow the Marxism. And two, (laughs) follow the money. This started, believe it or not, When somebody gave the bat signal to get rid of Governor Cuomo, he was the love gov. He was riding high. He was success. And it looked like he was going to make a play for the 2024 presidential nomination on the Democrat Party. And it looked to me, this is my theory, that Letitia James, who was squad before there was squad, she is a leftist of the leftist. She originally came to power in the Working Families Party, which is communist. Do you know who else, by the way, is part of the Working Party's uh, party, the Working Families Party? Please tell me it's AOC. No. It is our wonderful San Francisco Attorney General, prosecuting attorney general, yes, Chesa Boudin, Boudin. who was raised by the buddy, terrorist buddy, palling around with terrorist Obama's friend, you know, the terrorist who trampled on the American flag and wished he had done more bombings. Okay, so he's also part of that same party. Well, in in what happened in the background is when Letitia got the signal to go after Cuomo to get rid of him for somebody, I think it is my friend, uh, Mrs. Obama, which you don't agree with. We can step that aside for now. But 
she went after Governor Cuomo as part of the investigation for both the nursing home issue and the sexual Sexual harassment harassment. claims. And that's what finally brought him down, so to speak. But it was part of the investigation that Letitia James did. They uncovered emails between the brothers. Now, it was obvious they were working together because Governor Cuomo used to go on Chris Cuomo's show nightly, and they would laugh and joke about how wonderful the love gov was encountering Trump in the COVID thing. So they were obviously working together. And uh, so when it turned out that... Chris Cuomo was also helping dig up dirt on the accusers, the sexual harassment accusers. That is when CNN, led by Jeff Zucker, said, oh, this is a step too far. We are investigating and we can't have this. It's bringing disrepute upon CNN. Well, that is is hysterical (laughs) anyway. Bringing disrepute. CNN's middle name is disrepute. Yes. So, And their first name is fake news. Fake news, disrepute, CNN. There you go. And, okay, so it turned out that Chris Cuomo, being fired by CNN for doing horrible things, had a clause in his contract, could not bring disrepute to the the organization, and so he was being fired without his money. So here's the follow the money part. The Letitia James part was the follow the Marxism. This is the follow the money. He wanted his 18 million he was owed by contract. Chris Cuomo wasn't going to get his 18 million. And so because the entire media Democrat party operates on mutual assured destruction, which is the mud they have, the dirt they have on each other, said, oh, yeah, I bring disrepute. I was too close to my brother. Let me tell you who else was close to my brother. And it turns out the dirt he had was Jeff Zucker was in bed with this woman who was the former communications director for for Governor Cuomo. And beyond that, that Jeff Zucker was feeding Governor Cuomo talking points for those daily press conferences he was running during COVID. Then Jeff Zucker was producing them. The CNN, so this idea that we can't have this unseemly relationship between journalists and political operatives is just so much cover. So when when Chris Cuomo said, all right, you're going to take away my $18 million? I'm going to bring out the dirt on your relationship with Governor Cuomo, which is way more damning, I think. And this long-term relationship between the communications director for Cuomo and Jeff Zucker goes back to the 90s. They have been an item that everybody knew about for decades. So all of a sudden, when he decided that he had to resign, it was because there is a merger happening right now. $18 million was at stake, but so was $43 billion. And right now, AT&T is trying to unload Warner, which operates CNN, and they didn't want anything querying that deal. They paid something like $80 billion, and they've been trying to unload it for years. And now they have a $43 billion deal with Discovery. And that is supposed to be finalized in the coming months. And this whole mess was standing in the way. So basically, Zucker was given the word that you're gone. 
the new people do not want this mess. And so, you know, it looks to me like Cuomo successfully negotiated at least part of his $18 million. It looks like he may get nine. Meanwhile, the whole media world is upset and they're mad that that Zucker, who is their political operative in chief, is gone. He was such a kingpin that this is way more important than it's just a media loss. Now, MSN, PMSN, SMAC is not even reporting the CNN story. They've been blacking it out. Uh, the the There's a story in the Daily Mail online that Trump donor, billionaire John Malone, was the one that insisted on Jeff Zucker's uh, uh, resignation. And um, last night, poor old Don Lemon was damn near crying. I guess he got his hand out of his pants and not putting it up in anybody's face to smell for a few minutes. Well, that's what allegedly he did, and he's still on the air. Um, Yes. And um, uh, uh, so, so... so Don Lemon was crying, and and so some of the other CNN hosts have been crying too about what a leader Zucker was. What a leader! What were their ratings over at CNN? Yeah, they lost. There are two uh, stats that I saw. They lost either ninety percent or seventy five percent of their audience year over year from last year. So Zucker presided over that debacle. But let me just give you a quote from Alison Camerata, which I think is really key. She was talking to the potato, Brian Stelter, and saying, if what you're reporting is true, these are two consenting adults who are both executives, that they can't have a private relationship feels wrong. Even though it's against <laughs> network policy and has been forever. And wrong. Right. It's immoral. And their view of wrong is 180 away from what most people would think the affair is wrong. But no, the idea that they can't have an affair is wrong. When you when you have this media view, you know, that they should be allowed to carry on all their affairs that they want. And apparently they had this relationship going back to the 90s when they were still married. And she was a trainee. And so they weren't always two executives. And how did she come, become an executive? Katie Court basically said that, uh, that this woman, Go Lust, was forced on her on the Today Show by Zucker, which is how she got her start. Hmm. So the fact that she's still there is the question that needs to be asked. If she was the honeypot or whatever you want to call it, if she was the p- participant in this for a long time, why is she still there? And Zucker had a, had a fall on his sword. That, to me, is, you know, look, she had just as much conflict of interest as Zucker did when it comes to the Cuomo thing. So there's so still a lot of dirt over at CNN that needs to be cleaned up. They need to yes. mop the place clean. Yes. Now, now, okay, let's take a break, ladies and gentlemen, a quick break, and then we're coming back with Princess Policy because we have yet to go Whoopi Goldberg, the New York Times, the State Department yesterday, and we're going to get to your call. So don't go away. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurley, WABC, coming right back. Entertaining and informative. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurley, is on the air. 77 WABC. Yes, and we have the Princess of Policy with us, Diana Me, And uh, Diana, let's, before we get to Whoopi, let me just touch on two stories that came out of MSNBC this week. One 
this is a guest that they had on the air that was never pushed back really on. And, of course, she was on that hateful show with that woman who was just totally race-obsessed and bitter and angry about everything. And one of her guests said that MAGA is code. MAGA is code for wanting to lynch or murder black people. Huh. Is that what MAGA is about? Well, clearly not. But this is the leftist view whenever Republicans, conservatives succeed at anything and when they're competing. You remember when Biden said that Republicans want to put you back in chains. I mean, this is the kind of thing that I mean, it's almost a boring thing to me because they say stuff like that so frequently. And I think it's actually backfiring on them. I don't think it is in any way. Uh, taking effect in the population of America. I don't think most people take it seriously or even hear about it. It's just static now. It's I like wonder if David Brinkley and Chet Huntley were still alive, would they want to associate with this network anymore? Probably not. MSNBC lambasted after guest claims unvaccinated children are likely to get serious COVID. And that is that is such misinformation from quote-unquote the science. And this was on Dr. This was on Andrea Mitchell reports. And guess who it was that said this stuff? Dr. Ezekiel Emanuel. Oh, our old friend who wants people to die except himself. <laughs> right. And can you explain that remark? Because people won't understand that. He basically, he was one of those death panels guys, and, you know, he came up with the idea that once you turn 65, you should basically leave the planet because you're using up resources. And then he turned 65, and he said, well, I'm important. I don't need to leave the planet. (laughs) And he is the brother of? Rahm Emanuel, who worked for Obama and is involved in Chicago politics. So, yeah, it's a, it's an incestuous, incestuous world, pool. as I keep saying. Yes. Now, Whoopi Goldberg. Poor Wh- now, I happen to think that Whoopi should not have been suspended for the remark, that, the one remark that she made after she apologized for it and after she said she had been educated and understood why her remark was so offensive. And my premise is this: anybody that works in media, and if you're gonna if you're gonna talk fifteen hours a day, if you I mean a week, if you're gonna talk twenty hours a week over your career, if it's long enough, you're gonna say something stupid. And I don't think that one remark should mean okay, here's the guillotine, you're gone, screw your whole career. I just don't think that, especially if you apologize for it and if you explain that you've been whatever your level of ignorance was, you don't have that level of ignorance anymore. So I disagreed with the suspension. I thought that it was a double standard, though. I mean, look at what they did to Roxanne. Look what Disney did to uh, to that woman on Star Wars, Gina. I keep forgetting how to pronounce her last name because she was a Trump supporter and um, and said something in the elections that the lefties didn't like. They just killed the woman off Star Wars. He just got rid of her. And, of course, they got rid of Roseanne, who was one of their big money makers. They put her out to pasture. Like she was a used, you know, piece of laundry or something. But Whoopi, no, we're just going to suspend you for two weeks. And then Whoopi had a fit, apparently, in the dark, saying she wanted to quit because, you know, they she felt, she felt you know, humiliated by ABC. And now there's a story that recalls 
goes back to how Whoopi got the last name Goldberg, which is not her real last name. Her real name is Karen Johnson. Right. And she wrote a book, Jewish American Princesses Recipe, that upset people at the time, and people are bringing that up. Your thoughts on Whoopi, The View, and that whole mess over at ABC? Well, I agree with your basic take, which is, as Rush used to say, we're in the arena of ideas. We're in the public. Well, not I, but you and Rush and Whoopi (laughs) are basically speaking our minds. And because we're Americans, that is supported by our Constitution. You know, however, with the, you know, I'm not going to say that she should have been suspended. I mean, it's ridiculous. Two weeks. What is the point of two weeks? But the order of what happened, I think, has been forgotten. She said this indefensible thing on her show. Then they issued an apology for her. Clearly, she hadn't read it. So the apology you're quoting is from what she was, her statement. Then she went on one of the late night comedy Colbert. shows. And doubled down on what she had said on The View. So this apology was sandwiched in the middle of it. And people kept saying, well, she apologized. Well, she clearly hadn't read it because she went on and basically said the same thing she had said earlier in the day. So I I think the apology was not heartfelt. However, she thinks what she thinks. She should be able to say it and we should be able to criticize her for it. And to me, that's the end of that. All right. Now. Sarah Palin, New York Times. <laughs> First of all, there was something when Sarah Palin came here and said, I have COVID. It was like, okay, they all sneered and mocked. And right. then Sarah Palin had the audacity to go out and get something to eat, and they lost their cookies. And I was rolling, laughing. And then she's going out with some hockey player. And of course, supposedly. yeah, supposedly. So I'm, now I'm on the floor laughing. And then the trial starts after all this, and it turns out that, oh, boy, the New York Times does not look good so far in this trial. Yes, they do have some legal risk. The story is that they basically blamed Sarah Palin. This is a years-old thing. When she had a political pamphlet that had the districts of people that she was targeting— quote unquote targeting with little target symbols on them. And this was, I think, about six months before Gerald Laughlin, the nutcase in, I believe it was Colorado, actually Ar- shot. Arizona. Uh, Arizona, yes, a shot a, a representative. And Gabby so Giffords. The, Gabby Giffords. And the media linked the two events, which were unlinked because the motivation of this guy was not political. He was basically mentally ill. And so this had been stated at at the time and debunked. And the New York Times years later in writing uh, an article and in, in publishing an article brought that old canard up again, blaming Sarah Palin for this event. And she finally had had enough. And she considers this actual malice, which is the legal level where the media has to prove that they did not directly with malice go after an individual. Malice is defined as doing it in the in spite of the of the facts that you know. The facts that we all knew at the time the New York Times wrote this, published this, was that Sarah Palin had nothing to do with that shooting. And the New York Times 
should have and did, according to their internal me emails, know that. Their own internal fact checker basically said, this is not right. We have to specify the timeline of when Sarah Palin's pamphlet came out and when the shooting happened, how far apart they were, and also the, all the facts surrounding it. And the New York Times ignored their own fact checker and basically went ahead with this accusation Anyway, and the evidence is now part of this trial, which is supposed to last two weeks. It's very hard to raise, to, you know, the information to that level. She, uh, Sarah has a hard road hoe because there are so many protections and precedents for the media. But the Times is in jeopardy in this situation. And I hope they lose. That would be the most important thing ever because it would make them careful in the future. Maybe. They, Maybe. you know, look, and then, you know, lurking behind all this, Project Veritas has a lawsuit with the New York Times that could turn out badly. And if these two things turn out badly, yes. all of a sudden, the New York Times, well, well, well. Now, would be fun. the last of the media week from hell stories, unless, well, there are two more. Why don't you tell us about what happened over at the State Department? Because I didn't know about that until you sent me the story. And you can better <laughs> explain this than I can. This was amazing. <laughs> And even CNN ran the video. And I think if anybody has the opportunity, they should actually go to CNN. And here's the headline, heated exchange between State Department official and veteran reporter. This was a media availability of Ned Price, who's the State Department spokesperson, and who's not on camera, but you can hear his voice, AP reporter Matt Lee. And basically what happened was the State Department guy comes out and announces that they have intelligence that Russia is going to do a false flag with crisis actors and do this pretext. They're going to create a movie that's a pretext so they can invade Ukraine. And he just declared this, and the AP reporter goes, well, what's the evidence that Putin is uh, planning this? And so the, and Ned Price said, well, I just gave it to you. And the AP guy goes, well, no, you just said it. You just declared <laughs> it. You didn't give us evidence. Well, that's the evidence that all you need. That's how we do it. That's our evidence. And if you're going to side, basically accuse the AP reporter of siding with Russia and giving solace to Russia by because he was questioning the intelligence and wanted to see the evidence. And CNN ran the clip around a story, basically saying, how dare you? This is what we journalists do. We <laughs> ask questions. I mean, it was so refreshing to see an actual journalist asking an actual question and not taking verbatim like they have been stenographers for any Democrat administration. So this was hopefully the beginning of many such exchanges where there is skepticism and there's questions and that's what should happen. And now, you know, and it was a beautiful video to watch that when after you sent it to me, I watched it this morning and hysterical. And you have and you could almost see the shock on this State Department's uh, <laughs> guy's face that he's being actually asked, well, what's the evidence? No, your word isn't evidence. You saying <laughs> something isn't evidence. He looks offended at the very idea. How dare you question me? I'm yep. from the State Department. 
I am the evidence. I am the evidence. Yeah, I am the evidence. No, you're not. You're a spokesperson. And by the way, he failed to show up for the next press briefing on Friday. Now We'll see when he comes back. He may. Bob Costas, who I will never forget, said something ugly about Rush, and that's when he lost me years ago. Bob Costas is now whining that poor old NBC has the worst hand imaginable with what's going on with the Olympics this year. First of all, I don't give a damn about the Olympics. I'm not going to watch one freaking game. I don't care. I don't want to see the commies. Well, and it's hard to tell who's who. The commies, NBC. Yep. See, I mean, the commies or American media. They're the same to me. So why would I want to watch any of it? And then you have Nancy Pelosi out basically saying, don't get mad with the commies. Don't anger the commies. And then poor old Bob Costas is saying, uh, my friends and colleagues at NBC have been dealt the worst hand imaginable by these games. I don't care whether NBC loses their shirt in the Olympics. Do you? I have, I'm on the same page. I refuse to watch any of it because it is glorifying the brutal communist regime of communist China. It is unconscionable that that we're even there. And it's doubly unconscionable that NBC is running, talk about stenographers, they're running straight out communist propaganda, the pageantry, the wonderfulness of the Chinese hosts. You know, they're, they're really not saying one word about who these horrible people are and what they're actually doing as far as human rights are concerned. And this would be a a perfect opportunity for real journalists to actually report on what's going on in China. But no, the money, as I always say, follow the money and follow the Marxism has changed hands. And we now have a media that is in bed with the communist Chinese. All right. Last thing, Diana, and thank you for spending so much time. I wanted to get you in early because this has been, we have not seen the mainstream press in America, the mainstream media, have this kind of week ever. Do you think that the re, do you think that this is going to have some kind of long lasting effect or is it just a blip? I think it remains to be seen to answer your question with a non-answer, but I, I do think it could be a turning point because CNN is now going to have new leadership, new ownership. And they have been the driving force of a lot of this horribleness, as has the New York Times in print media. So if they are brushed back a little bit from their march ahead to forcing communism, which is what I think it is um, on the rest of us, I think it could be significant. However, I want to mention, which brings me to what you had said before about organizing and about their. I agreed with every word you said very important that we on our side need to have more awareness of what these networks, these spider webs, as you call them, are doing. And we also have to organize ourselves. But there's one thing to add to that. We often think that they are surrounding us and they're all powerful and we've got nothing. And the fact is we have the truth. That is what they will never have. Their networks are built on lies. They traffic on lies and they are like a souffle. You poke them and all of that apparent power just collapses on itself. And you know who knew that? Ronald Reagan. 
Mm. The power of the left is only apparent. It's it's not true. It's not genuine. And they have no moral foundation. And he understood that from the get-go. And that's why he and Lady Thatcher and the Pope at the time, the three of those combined with moral authority and moral arguments and moral power and poked that great beast of the Soviet Union and it imploded. Now, we didn't use armies. So on our side, the conservative side, we may not have right now the organizational power and we may not have all of the knowledge of the bad stuff they're doing, but we have the truth and we are surrounding them. Well, you know, Diana, I, I and thank you for that. That is just a wonderful exclamation point to to what I was saying. But I am still going to insist that we have, Diana, we have got to start understanding how, as a political movement, how to organize and how to organize effectively. And can you imagine organizing with the truth and what that yes. would yield? You're you're so right about that. But we cannot forget that we we overpower them and that's how they feel they think the media is conservative they think any time a republican does anything like go on to a, a, a school council board or to do the election uh, positions in local races they are out of their minds because they know the power and that we have the people behind us. That is the thing. They may be powerful in that they control the levers of power, but they don't have a connection with the voters. The organization is what they have, and there are so few of them. If you notice anything that happens, it's the same people. They control the gates. They control the, the, the pressure points of society right now, not forever, uh, but there aren't a lot of them. They're really a small in number. And yes, you're right. To push back, we have to have effective organization. But we also have to know where our real strength comes from the truth. Diana me, Princess of Policy, that is why you are the princess and I am your humble servant. Thank you for being with us for so long. <laughs> Thank you, Sir James. This was an extended version on purpose, folks. Sorry we couldn't get to more calls. We are having technical difficulties with phones. However, that added to it as well. But... Um, we had intended to have Diana on for most of the hour because this has been a media week like no other, and her analysis was flawless. And so we'll talk with you next Friday, Friday yes. and Saturday. You can tune in every week and hear The Princess of Policy, Diana Me with James Golden. Thank you, Diana. Thank you, James. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snerly. Time has quickly run out on today's program. And so, yes, this has been Yakalot, James, today. Yakalot, Bo Snerly. I'll be back on Monday, Monday. Hopefully, you know, we'll be back with phones at work and with everything good and James Golden here with you so that we can start another week. Hopefully, our mainstream media will have another week from hell. This has been a delightful week to watch. In the meantime, thanks to the crew in New York who are always, always, always on top of everything. That means Bruce. That means Camelia. That means Scott and me. So, we'll be back on Monday at 4 p.m. Don't miss it. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurley. We are New York Strong. Please be careful on the roads and the streets. Icy, cold out there. We are America, the greatest nation humanity has ever witnessed. And we'll be back Monday. God bless and protect each and every one of you. Bye.